right, we're back with another episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, a special edition, and I'm happy because we have a guest today, Brian, and mm -hmm. it's one of my good friends, uh, favorite people in the sports journalism industry, Ian Begley of ESPN New York, Knicks beat writer. He has a very tough job, for people don't know. <laughs> He's covering the Knicks. It's a very, very difficult job, but a uh, great guy, and we've been... I've known you forever as far Long as covering time, journalists. Bro. Like, we go back to yeah. covering high school sports. Remember the days of Canarsie and oh, South Shore? Yeah. and Lincoln. State, yeah, Lincoln and all. Absolutely, Yeah, bro. so Ian and I, we, we, we go back, and um, Brian has known Ian as, as well, yes, too. Mm -hmm. um, and he's doing good. He's trying to follow in his footsteps as, as, as a writer, journalist. Absolutely. We'll start off with you by talking to people about you getting into I know a little bit about how you got into yeah. the industry and sports journalism and getting into writing, but how was that for you and getting from where you started to being a beat writer for the Knicks for ESPN New York? Yeah, you know, it's I got lucky, man. I got an internship at the Daily News coming out of college, and I was fortunate enough to stay on after my internship working as a freelance writer, which a lot of young people in the business, like, right. if you start out, that's kind of how you have to start out, unfortunately. And then they, they put together these high school sections. So I got a full-time job covering high schools in the city, which was fantastic. You learn so much, as you know, yeah. covering high school sports. You get a chance to be out on your own, to talk to coaches, talk to players, figure out how to interview people, figure out how to cultivate sources. So I did that for about five years, covering everything. Uh, baseball, basketball, football, gymnastics, yep. volleyball, like bowling. Like we covered bowling. all. I remember doing bowling. Yeah. yeah. So that was, I mean, that I look back on those days and I'm so lucky to have had that opportunity because you, you learn really the, the fundamentals of being a reporter covering high school sports. So after that, uh, my boss, Leon Carter, was at the Daily News. He went over to ESPN to start. ESPN New York, mm -hmm. he was nice enough to give me an opportunity over there. So I started covering high schools and pro sports for ESPN New York. A little bit of everything, Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, Knicks, Nets, whatever the season was. And then, you know, there was an opening and I started covering the Knicks uh, eventually full time. I think this is my maybe sixth or seventh Damn, season. Damn, you've been that already? Yeah, covering wow. the team. So. It, it, it feels like when you're covering the Knicks, you do it in dog years. Like it feels <laughs> like it's been 50 years already, but we're really only six or seven in. I think most fans would agree with you about the dog years. You know, I've, I grew up a Knicks fan, and I've been suffering. Brian's rolling his eyes laughing at me, but I've been suffering. But, yeah, I can't believe it has been six years for you in covering the team already. And then for both you and I, we're both recent uh, fathers. Yeah. And things have Congrats. Changed. Thank you. Thank you, man. Um, your your little daughter, she's uh, eight months. Eight months. And mine yeah. is 16, so we've both gone into that. And Brian, he does not know about this yet. Thank God. Just wait. <laughs> Just you wait. Enjoy yourself while you can. Yeah. Brian, hopefully, hopefully I'm years away from that. Brian's not into the, the fatherhood step, but I know how things have changed in my life. Like, yeah. how has it been for you balancing fatherhood? and being a sports journalist and covering a team like you do as in a beat. You know, you have to be around the Knicks um, constantly and you're giving us all the updates and we mm -hmm. love what you do, but how has it been balancing both? You know, man, it's tough. Like, yeah. before I became a father, before I got married, like, it was all about the job and then everything else came after that. So um, my whole, everything revolved around work. But now, 
you know, you're married, so you have a wife. Yep. You have a daughter. Yep. You got other responsibilities, so you have to try to strike that balance. And honestly, it's a work in progress, right? Because True. I feel like I'm always trying to figure out spots in the day where I could sneak in work, sneak in a text, sneak in a phone call, but also try to be as present as I can for my family. Um, and it's not easy, but I'm not here to sit and complain about it because everybody, all working parents have to deal with it um, yep. in one way or another. But I feel like I don't have as much time as I used to to dig in and to grind on the beat and to you know cultivate sources and, and write stories and this and that so I just try to focus on what matters most now and, and in doing that try to find as much time as I can to spend time with the family yeah no I completely know how it is Brian you need to keep those words I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, taking notes right now I'm gonna take some notes I'm gonna take a bunch of mental notes I also want to ask you because we yeah. we've talked about this like kind of like off record before but you mentioned obviously covering high school sports and yeah. I do some of that now yeah you do that, a great job, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. Does that? Has by that the way, of, just as an aside, he didn't get enough credit for that story he broke over the summer. Man, I'm glad you he brought that up. He didn't get enough credit for I don't, that. It's not, you know, he was the first one to let everybody he know was, what was going people, on Some Tommy. people, we're not going to call any names, but some people tried to take credit. <laughs> Make their own story. No, no, no. Brian had that first, bro. Ian, how do you, I, I don't mean to jump your question, but since Ian brought that up. Sorry, just It, it was for people that don't know, it was the Hamadou Diallo yes. going back to Kentucky story. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Like when somebody like Brian breaks a story, story right and somebody might be trying to jump in and act yeah. like they yeah. broke it first right. like as a reporter because like, nobody knows who I am. I don't think that's cool at all just journalistic no, but how, how do you feel about it's that it's terrible because what we're all doing is we're all competing right we all yeah. want to be first with whatever the information is we're all mm -hmm. chasing after so listen if you get beat and it's gonna happen you get beat it's your job, it's your professional duty to credit the person who had the story, even if you're following up on it, getting new information, whatever it may be. You should credit the source of the original information. Absolutely. And that's like the lifeblood of the business. And now, you know, because of the internet, blogs, social media, everything can kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I think a lot of reporters who do break news, Brian's scoop over the summer being an example, don't get the credit, the proper credit, because it's so easy for someone to take a tweet and say, hey, you know, I'm hearing something similar, so I'm going to say I'm reporting. So I think that people really should be a little bit more respectful of the yeah. process, yeah. respectful of, of where the news comes from, and properly credit um, outlets that do break stories, because I think that's eroding in our business, and that's a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's important for you to say that. Go ahead, Brian. So speaking of the business, uh, mentioned high school sports before, and we talked about how, like, it's different now in terms of, like, when you're breaking in, you're not really assigned to cover high school sports right. anymore. Like right. there's a lot of people like me, for example, I do it, but I'm also covering the Brooklyn Nets for a Nets blog, yeah. you know, Nets Daily. Yeah. So what I'm wondering is like, how do you feel like that impacts the industry, that kind of shift where maybe high school sports now, you don't really see the daily news as much there in New York Post. Right. You see more just blogs, yeah. you know, and things like that. And people like me and like others that I know trying to come up through that way instead of like the established people coming down like the Associated Press, Washington Post, and getting those high school stories, those grassroots stories. Yeah, no, I think, you know what, there's a void there, right, in the high school coverage because the, the bigger guys are not coming down to cover high school sports on a daily basis. The local papers aren't, aren't devoting as much resources. So I think you're doing a great job in, yes, you are covering a pro team and, and you're getting your feet in the door there, but you're also keeping your ear on the high school sports scene because the Daily News and the Post aren't doing as much, right. but that doesn't mean the audience isn't there. So mm -hmm. there is an audience for high school sports, but I think even more importantly than the audience being there is you can learn so many valuable skills 
in that realm, on that beat, you know, covering teams, talking to coaches. Like, there's so many things you can learn that maybe you don't have the opportunity to, to learn covering a professional team. So I think you're doing a, a, a what's, what's now such a smart path, which is doing some high schools and doing some pro sports. I think a lot of people, because the traditional um, high school beat reporter job doesn't really exist anymore, a lot of guys will maybe take quotes from what are the internet and write their own analysis, mm -hmm. but you're not getting the 360 degree experience of being in a locker room, asking the right question, maybe pulling a guy over to the side, trying to get something explained to you that you saw on the floor, establishing a relationship and rapport with people. That doesn't happen if you're not on scene. So you being on scene mm -hmm. and probably being one of the, the main guys on the high school scene, I think that really helps. Yeah, I mean, I think we know, we, we not even just myself or Ian, we saw people like Christy Eckert, yeah. uh, Dan Martin, who all were in our group that we were covering all those games together. Yeah. And now they're, they're beat writers too, and they've done that too. So we've kind of seen that as going. But what he's doing today, I agree, is, is definitely it's important. It's smart. I think it's smart. Yeah, but you are now in the, in the Knicks locker room mm. and the, the madness that is the New York Knicks. And uh, <laughs> we, we both would know that. You've probably seen a lot over the years. Any crazy stories that people might not know <laughs> from from the Knicks that you might be able to share? We don't want to get anybody mm -hmm. in trouble. But is there anything out there, Ian? Just, I, I don't know. Like, there are a couple that I probably can't get into specifics on. Understood. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know I want to get right into it right away. He wants, I want, he wants to keep it real messy. I want the good stuff. <laughs> I'm, I, I could say this just in a general sense. Okay. People may connect the dots to me, not whatever. There are, there are stories about guys enjoying the nightlife in New York City. Mm. And some of the stories that came about over the, my course of the time covering the team weren't embellished the way they were reported. And there was actually, I think it was probably a little crazier than the stuff that was reported. I, don't want, uh, I can't get into specifics, but- I think I've connected the dots. Guys, some yeah. guys enjoyed themselves off the court. Some stories came about because of that enjoyment. And there was, those stories were real and there was a little bit more to it uh, behind closed doors. But as far as like t stuff that uh, stuff that hasn't been out there, that's like crazy salacious, you know, with the tabloids in town, post the daily news, not a lot of stuff is gonna go unreported if it's, right. if it's a salacious detail. Um, you know, there were, you know, there was rumors, so much rumors about um, stuff going on with Derek Fisher and the players and that stuff was talked about a lot. Yeah. I never was able to pin down exactly down what happened uh, well enough to report it but that was that's some of the crazier like things that kind of maybe flew under the radar but there was a lot of discussion about it uh, a couple of years ago well go mm -hmm. ahead what about because I just want to know this what was it like yeah. dealing with Phil Jackson yeah when he was there yeah. he's no longer there right but we know all about that yeah so I kind of want to know what that was like because the contrast between the Knicks and the Nets, the way they're run operationally has changed dramatically the last like year or so with Sean Marks and you know everybody there being more tight-lipped compared to what they had in the past. And the Knicks is always the complete opposite. Dysfunctional. Yeah. So, so with Phil Jackson, what was it like dealing with him? Yeah, so like just dealing with Phil, you didn't talk to him all that often. Like he <laughs> would hold press conferences. His first year he held a press conference about once a month which yeah. was great, but I think he got upset a little bit, and I'm just guessing here, with 
what he said in a press conference and how it was portrayed by the media. So he stopped talking as frequently to the reporters. And in essence, he stopped talking to the fans, right? Because it's not about how often he talks to the media. Like, yes, guys like myself care about that because that's our job. Right. But essentially, it's communicating your message to the fan base. Mm -hmm. And I think one of his missteps was not communicating to the fans frequently enough, talking about his vision for the team, where he thought they were at the present point in time, whatever date that was, and then what he saw in the future for the club. Because if, you, if you're out in front of things and you, you're talking to your fans pretty regularly, I think they'll, they'll be a little bit more understanding if the on-court success isn't there. And I think that's something that Scott Perry, you know, so far has gotten right because he's been pretty accessible with the media mm -hmm. and explaining his vision for the team. Mm -hmm. So with Phil, like when you ask about what was it like dealing with him, we didn't see him that much. <laughs> we really didn't. And you know, when we when we did get a chance to talk to him, he was great because he was he was forthright. Really appreciated his candor uh, from a media perspective. I don't think the play some of the players appreciated the honesty, but I appreciated the honesty. Yeah. So, but I felt like if he did that a little more frequently over the course of his presidency, I think the fans, the fan base, would have been a little bit more forgiving. Mm. I think the other one of the other mistakes he made was not getting coaches and players to buy into his vision, the way he wanted to see them play. It's so different doing that as a head coach, mm -hmm. which he did with so much success because he's around the team every day, right? Every day, he right. was talking to the players every day. He was traveling with these guys. Yeah. As a team president, you're so far removed from the day to day. I think he had a tough time getting guys to buy in to what he wanted to do. There was so much resistance from the coaches, from the players that it just never really worked. Yeah, that's, it's disappointing. I know when you look back at his whole tenure and last year, before last year, you and I spoke, and we talked about what we thought the Knicks could be, and I think yeah. we were kind of on the same page, like, yo, maybe low 40s to mid 40s and wins, yeah. and that clearly didn't happen. Right. Were you shocked at how everything unraveled last year from Derrick Rose going AWOL to the blow-up with Phil and Mello and everything getting out of control before we got to where we are today? Did that shock you as much as it maybe did me? You know, I thought that they were going to be uh, a better team on the court. You yeah. know, off the court stuff, I, I always feel like there are some things that are going to pop up over the mm -hmm. course of a season with a pro sports team. There's always things, you know, something someone gets in trouble, something doesn't go as planned. It becomes a story in New York. It becomes a bigger story because there's more media here. So that's yeah. kind of par for the course. I don't think I expected Charles Oakley to be tossed out of the garden <laughs> on the air, but, but that was different. It tends to happen more with them than with Probably you know so. what I mean? Probably with, so. With the, with the Mets, for example, right. or than other teams in New York. It tends to happen, like like in football, for example, the yeah. Jets seem to go through a lot of that madness more than the Giants do, although Odell Beckham's trying to challenge that right now. But <laughs> That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but why, why do you think that is? Is it just because it's the Knicks? You know, and people are, like, reaching more because they're the Knicks? I think that probably because of... A, because of the personalities involved, you know, Phil Carmelo not getting along, mm -hmm. Oakley and the organization not getting along, That obviously that led to some things that we saw last season. So, yeah, it, part of it is the personalities involved. Another part of it, I do think there is, there's a, a, a bigger spotlight on this team because yeah. of the, the just sheer volume of, of coverage and the, the people that are, uh, uh, excuse me, reporting on a team right. on a daily basis. And then when you're talking about the Knicks, and there's a there's a hot story, you know that's a that's a topic that it's gonna draw interest from a, a large amount of people because there's a big fan base and there's there's a big a large amount of people that hate the Knicks. So you know there's always gonna be interest in those stories. So I think part of it is yes, 
those the, those things happened organically. It's not like the media was making things up. There were crazy things that happened organically with the Knicks, and probably more so than 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 had happened with other teams over the past few years. But I think also because of the media coverage, there is more of a spotlight when something crazy does happen. Seems like a lot of crazy things always happen with the Knicks. Uh, we're going to take a break here on a hard sell podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ian Begley about where the Knicks are right now, his thoughts, and where they could be going in the future. So stay tuned to the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. It ain't hard to tell where to get the latest merchandise from Backpack Broadcasting. Gear is now available via Tee Public. Visit the Backpack Broadcasting Tee Public online store to get shirts, hoodies, mugs, and phone cases. Represent your favorite Backpack Broadcasting shows, including the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, and of course, the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Check out the special offers for our podcast listeners at http colon backslash backslash t dot pub backslash lic backslash backpack. Get in the game with your official backpack broadcasting here today. What's up, listeners? You know sometimes how it can be hard just to get from point A to point B. Now, when I have to get anywhere and I don't want to deal with the hassle of public transportation, it ain't hard to tell how I get around. I always make sure to use the best car service app in the game. I'm talking about Lyft. Lyft offers rides in minutes. All you have to do is download the Lyft app, request a ride, and you will be on your way quickly. Lyft is all about happy riders and happy drivers. Take a ride with them and you'll see why 9 out of 10 rides end up with a 5-star rating. Lyft always has amazing offers for new customers, and I'm here to tell our listeners about a great offer today. Lyft is currently offering free ride credit to Ain't Hard to Tell listeners. If you are new to Lyft, then you are eligible and getting your credit is easy. All you have to do is download the app and use the promo code AHTTPOD to unlock your free credit today. Ain't hard to tell who has the best car app service. So use the code today and ride out loud with Lyft. All right, welcome back to the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here, and our guest, Ian Begley, beat writer for the New York Knicks for ESPN New York. Ian, uh, the Knicks, they're in a bit of a transition now, if you want to say, or rebuilding, as some people want to say. Carmelo Anthony is gone. Phil Jackson's gone, as Brian brought up early. You've watched him through two two preseason games. Yeah. Uh, you'll see another one play the Nets again. Um, what are your early impressions of the team thus far? I think they're going to have a tough time defensively. I mean, I don't think we needed to see the preseason games to tell us that, but <laughs> they, they proved that in these Damn. preseason games so far that it's going to be a struggle defensively, yeah. early on especially, because when you have so many new faces, yeah. you know, it's hard to get on the same page with rotations, uh, how you're going to cover the pick and roll, communicating well. It's going to take time for them to reach their potential as a defensive ball club, but I think even their ceiling probably isn't that high because of the personnel involved. You don't have a lot of plus defenders on this team and you look at the point guard position you know Ramon Sessions appears to be the the guy who has the inside track as a starter I don't think he's a strong defender and then you're looking at the toughest position in the NBA night in and night out point point guard position so I think it's going to be tough for them to get stops unless a lot of guys play above their previous defensive reputations which is possible but not probable so you're looking at uh, probably a, a 
a subpar defensive club. And offensively, I think they'll be pretty good because they have guys who can score. Um, and Jeff Morrison wants to open it up a little bit, right? They're not going to run a lot of the, the triangle sets, um, which a lot of players were upset about over the last couple of seasons because they felt that it slowed everything down. It was predictable. It stymied some creativity. So this season, Hornacek talked about opening it up probably see more pick and roll. They're going to want to push the ball and try to get easier opportunities early in a shot clock. So I think they'll score more points. It's just a matter of how good can they be defensively. Mm. And I think it's going to be a struggle for much of the season. Yeah, it looked like a struggle in the preseason game. Yeah. Right, Brian? Like we yeah. were talking about this, it looked it really rough for them on the defensive end. And I think that – well, actually, I want to ask you this. So the Knicks are – they're rebuilding now, as you said. But I get the sense from fans, at least, Knicks fans that I know, that – Okay, now that Melo's gone, Phil Jackson's gone, now they're going about it the right way. Do right. you kind of see that? Like, Because before, they wanted to rebuild, but you had Melo there, so you kind of couldn't because Melo's a player that you try to win now with. And right. now you have KP6, Porzingis, that's your best player. Neil Aquina's on the team. Tim Hardaway Jr. just signed a big deal. So you have like a younger core group of guys. Do you yeah. feel like now they're finally going about it the right way, at least this early? Yeah, that's been that's been the conversation around the team so far, especially from Steve Mills and, and Scott mm-hmm. Perry, talking about wanting to build a young foundation and not wanting to rush things and you know not looking to do what the Knicks have done in the past where they've either given up too much for a player that is past its prime or, or spent a lot of money on a player who's injury prone and you know that's hurt them in the past it looks like this this regime Steve Mills Scott Perry is trying to learn from those mistakes and build uh, through the draft build uh, young core through the draft they have their draft picks going forward uh, which hasn't happened which hasn't been true in a long time for this team so and you know what I will say this we talked about Phil before you got to give Phil credit for drafting for drafting well yep and also for keeping the Knicks picks going forward because there were situations where obviously teams come calling and they were asking for the first round pick 2018 yeah. 2019 whatever yeah. Phil said based on what I was told r- when he was here no matter what we're not giving up first round picks it's not going to happen mm-hmm. so you got to give him some credit there for um, at least leaving the cupboard full with draft picks because that's important for a rebuild team and I think in a best case scenario for this team they do draft well the next couple of seasons and at that point you know they'll have a young core in place they'll have some money to spend in free agency and maybe you you, you attract some good free agents with that young core and with being in New York I think that's best case scenario for them right now that's that's the hope most yeah. Knicks fans want to hear going back to the metal trade yeah um, and it shocked me when it came out a couple a couple weeks ago you know, did, what did you think about the trade? Did the Knicks get the best that they could out of that deal? I know some fans said, oh, I thought the Knicks could have got more. I'm not really sure how much more they could have got, Ian, but from what you people you've talked to and what you've heard around the team, do you think they got the best deal they could have in that situation? Well, you talk about um, there, there would be a risk inherent in doing this, but I thought they could have had him here, had him play for a couple months, and then maybe the calculus changes for other teams where – 
they're, they're an injury, they suffer an injury, or they think they're a mellow away from competing, so they increase their trade offers for Carmelo. Obviously, the risk there is if he gets hurt, his trade value craters, and, and right. then, then you're kind of stuck with him in the player option. But you could have you could have kept him until December, February, and seen where his value was at that point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they reached a point where they knew Melo didn't want to be here on media day a couple weeks back. And they didn't want Melo here on media day a couple weeks back. So that weekend leading up to media day, you know, they started to, I don't know if they pressed, but they started to more seriously consider the offers on the table. And uh, OKC presented a decent offer. I thought they could have done better. I thought they, you know, after waiting so long for this right offer, they waited out a couple months. I thought they would have gotten more back. But I think it came to a point where, they didn't want him to be around the team. He didn't want to be around the team. So they were at this artificial deadline where they felt like they had to get something done. And I think that's why they did what they did. Prior to that, was there a time where maybe there was a deal that was almost imminent, that almost came down, let's say, I don't know, two, three years ago when this first started to really pop up and the report started surfacing, hey, Melo might go here, Melo might go here. Was there another time where that was actually really close? Well, I don't think anything was ever super close because Carmelo had the no trade clause, right? And it was never clear that he was ready to go until this summer. I know that, um, I think it was two years ago, Boston was putting together some pretty good offers for, or at least talking to the Knicks about Carmelo. And we all know the assets that that Celtics team has. So I would have to imagine that if Carmelo said, yeah, I'm ready to go, trade me to Boston two years ago, they would have gotten a pretty good package back for Carmelo at that time. One thing that popped up over the summer, um, you know, they were talking about all these three-team deals because Houston was involved and Ryan Anderson would have had to have been moved in order to make the trade work. The Knicks didn't want to take back Anderson's deal, so they were looking for that third team to take back Ryan Anderson. Mm. At one point, Milwaukee got involved. Yeah, and like (laughs) Jabari Jabari Parker's name came up, and if the Knicks were able to, I think the Knicks had some concerns about the health of his knee, as does the rest of the league, but I think if the Knicks were able to kind of swing that deal, you bring back Jabari Parker, I think Knicks fans would be happy with this return because he's a guy, if healthy, who fits that paradigm of a younger player, yep. a guy you can build around. You add him to that young nucleus, if healthy. So I thought, that was one thing that intrigued me. Obviously, it didn't come to fruition. I was intrigued by that one, too, and I probably would have I probably would have pulled the trigger on that one. I didn't think it was a bad deal. You spoke about Phil Jackson and his – uh, not leaving the cupboard bare with the draft picks, but also his drafting. I wasn't a huge fan of his regime, but one thing I did thought, thought that he did is I thought he drafted pretty well overall. You look at uh, Porzingis, I remember we talked even after that pick. I liked that pick more than a lot of Nick fans did. Um, Hernan Gomez. More than Stephen A., that's for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah man, nobody, nobody went off on that like Stephen A. Stephen a was, that was an epic rant. It was an that epic was rant. Incredible. That will live forever, and I can't even match that if I tried. But I loved, I loved the pick. Um, I saw a little Herman Hernan Gomez. I liked him as being a stash player and coming over. Yeah. And here's this year, I don't know how you felt about uh, Tilakina, but I liked him. I watched a lot of video on him on Draft Express. I really like his game. I think it was a good pick. I don't think he's a triangle player. I think Phil Jackson's actually done some good drafting for the Knicks overall, too. What do you say to those three picks and those players I mentioned as being part of the core of the Knicks' future? Yeah, there's no question about Porzingis and and Hernan Gomez. I mean, I I think both guys have a lot of room to grow, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, where they go and and how how we view Phil's drafting depends a lot on what they do over the next four or five years to improve his players. Same thing with Nelikina. You know, there was a big debate 
in the Nick draft room about taking him. Malik Monk was a guy some guys were pushing for. That's who I thought. Some guys right. like Dennis Mitchell. No, from, I'm not a fan um, of Dennis Smith Jr. I'm not a fan of him. No, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell. Donovan, who I do like. Me, Donovan Donovan that's Mitchell. really liked, and I know that for a fact. Yeah, so he, went to, he went to Utah, yeah. right? Yeah, he yeah, went to Utah. Right. So, excuse me, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. People in the organization liked him. People in the organization liked Dennis Smith a lot, too. Yeah. But ultimately, Phil made the call, chose Frank. Um, and listen, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's fair to him to like put him in this box as like a triangle player because yeah. he ran some pick and roll in France mm -hmm. when he was playing against grown men and his teammates said he did a pretty good job of it. And then also you look at the other end of the floor where he has the he has the potential to be a really That's strong defender. Done. Yeah. Yep. As at a position where it's so important to have a solid defender. The Knicks haven't had a solid point guard uh, who could play defense in so long. If he could turn into that, even if he's not like a, a fantastic all NBA offensive player, if he could be a strong defensive player, I think he'd be worth the pick right there. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd be I'd be happy. You know, I'd be very happy. Yeah. Any, because, any, anything possible. But, but one of the things you see, one of the things I see in him at least is that unlike a lot of Knicks point guards of, I guess, recent memories, he's very athletic. He's young and he's very athletic yeah. too. Like, yep. so defensively, do you, do you see him? Cause I see him as a very coming, becoming a very good defender, but do you see him as a scorer? Because I'm not really sure like what to make of him as far as like him actually putting the ball in the basket and things of that nature. Well, what we've seen so far and what players have said so far is that he just looks so comfortable running an offense. Yeah. And that's rare for a kid who's 18, 19 years old to step on an NBA court and look comfortable with changing the pace, knowing where to go with the ball. Jeff Hornacek mentioned a couple times that if, if one of Frank's teammates hasn't seen the ball on a few possessions, he makes sure to find that guy. And that's that's something that I think you wouldn't expect of an 18, 19-year-old. As far as putting the ball in the basket, mm. I think we're a long way away from being able to answer that question just because he's so young. And he scored, five, I think, five, six points a game last year in France against grown men. So I think it's going to be a while before we see actually who he is as a grown man in the NBA as an offensive player. But I, I do think that, you know, people around him have said his shot is much, is much improved and his ability to finish at the rim is much improved. I don't think we're going to see that early on. I have another question I just thought oh, of. Yeah. Because you have your guy, Hernan Gomez, is there. My guy. Yeah. <laughs> we also have, you know, um, Enos Cantor and Doug McDermott. Where does Joe Kim Noah oh, good question. kind of fall into this? Because, you know, he has the massive contract that they – Dexter has his feelings about that. <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> so where does he kind of fall here? Because if you're looking at it, he's kind of, what, the third best center on the team right now? Fourth, yeah. Or fourth, actually? So, yeah, tell me that he won't see, see any playing time this year. Tell me that. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, if you look at... music to a lot of Knicks fans here. If you look at what happened over the summer, right? Like, mm -hmm. when Phil and, and Steve and the Knicks were taking calls about Porzingis, mm. and, only, and I was told in most of those talks... They were trying to get off of Noah's contract in huh. in any kind of a talk, any discussion about trading Porzingis. The idea was, uh, can, would you want to take back Joakim? Yeah. So that tells you, I think, all you need to know about how they feel about the contract. Like in a perfect world for them, I think they would make a deal and and, and get the contract off of their books. So I, I think that if if they're being truthful here and talking about developing around a young core and doing things the right way, it only makes sense to give minutes to. Hernan Gomez to Cantor, 
uh, even though Quinn yep. or Joe, yeah. just because you're looking to go young and you're looking to build this young nucleus. If you were a win now team, I could see giving Noah be having Noah be your you know your first second big off the bench because you want that experience on the court. But you're not looking to you know win 50 games this year. You're looking to develop guys the right way. So I would assume that Joe it would not be in the rotation unless there was an injury. Do do you think it's possible? You said these teams have been asking, knocking out. They've been trying to get rid of him. Do you think it's possible to get rid of him this year or with three years and whatever we have left on the contract, 60 plus? Yeah. It's probably going to be hard to move that contract in the NBA. Do you think it's possible to get him off the team this year? I think if, if you move him, you have to do the team that you're sending him to a favor by probably taking back another bad contract. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of do the math and decide whether it's worthwhile for you. It's good. I think it would be very tough um, and le barring like some kind of crazy injury where a team that thinks it's it can win right away um, needs a big off the bench is desperate for a big off the bench mm -hmm. and can stomach the contract and they see Joe as a guy who can fill that role maybe that situation presents itself but but even then I think it still would be hard to get a deal done that helps the Knicks um, so I think the the easiest way obviously is to stretch his contract but to do that now leave so much money on the Knicks books over the course of I believe it would be Seven seasons. Seven seasons. Yeah. Seven yeah. seasons. So it doesn't make a lot of sense, sense right to now. do it right now. The contract in general didn't make a lot of sense when they no. gave it to him. No, and like <laughs> people, it's funny because people wanted to say um, that the Derrick Rose trade it was kind of like no harm, no foul for the Knicks because he's not here anymore and he was off the books the next year. Mm. I, I, the thing people forget though mm -hmm. is that Derrick Rose trade led to the Joakim Noah signing. So yep. if you don't trade for Derrick Rose, I don't think you're as aggressive in trying to sign Joakim Noah. So the Knicks wouldn't be in this in this predicament if they didn't trade for Derrick Rose. No, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, obviously, a lot of eyes are going to be on KP this year. Yeah. He's now the man on the team. Uh, we've seen in the first couple of preseason games, he's been very aggressive. Um, he played very well in Eurobasket. What do you want to see? What do you think the organization wants to see for him as far as taking that next step uh, this season? What do you think they want to see from KP? You know, I, they haven't laid out specifics, but I would assume that they want to see him. They want to see um, an offense where – He's touching the ball in every possession and good things are happening. So he's making good decisions with the ball in his hand, whether it's drawing a double team and making the right pass out of the double team, being able to score one-on-one -on -one in the post, um, being effective in drawing the defense's attention out on the perimeter, making the right decision with the ball, whether it's shooting or finding an open teammate. I think they just want to make see him make good decisions as the focal point of an offense. And then defensively, I mean, he's talked about this a lot, improving in defending those fours that can come out and shoot mm -hmm. because he's had a tough time uh, over the course of the first two seasons. There have been times where he struggled in coming out and closing out and either getting out to the shot late or closing out too hard and having that guy come come past him on the drive. So that's one thing that I, I know he's cognizant of and he wants to work on, and that's, I'm sure that's something that the organization would like to see him improve on. Yeah, definitely intrigued to see how he can improve uh, – going into year three now already so we'll see how it works with that we are going to take another break when we come back we are going to have some fan questions you know how the Nick fans are <laughs> here you know how they are on Twitter they're going to have a lot of interesting questions so <laughs> you guys have submitted some questions we're going to have those questions for Ian Begley our guest on Ain't Hard to Tell podcast 
Sports Guru is the place where fans talk about sports via video. All videos are 60 seconds or shorter. Sports Guru makes the video look more professional and fun by adding automated on-screen graphics. You can follow your favorite sports by team, trending, new, or by people you follow, and more. Type in the title of your video and it will automatically, that's right, also magically go into your on-screen graphics. It's just that simple. Tag your teams and publish sports. Let's talk sports. The best new sports web series is here. It's from Backpack Broadcasting and it's called The Sports Walk. The Sports Walk is a series where diverse sports fans take a walk and share their views at the intersection of sports and society. The entire first season is now available on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and BackpackBroadcasting.com. See what other sports fans have to say about a variety of issues in the world of sports. Watch all 13 episodes from season one and take the sports walk today. Welcome back to the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. We're having a laugh about something that we will share with you guys later uh, regarding the future of the New York Knickerbockers and Ian Begley, our guest uh, beat writer for ESPN New York covering the New York Knickerbockers. And Ian has something interesting happen to him over the summer, and I experienced it in this interesting way. Um, I was driving, I think, from the Bronx to Manhattan to have a meeting with somebody, and I was playing uh, rapper we both like out of Brooklyn, uh, Sky Zoo. I was playing his new EP, yes. uh, which is really good, and everybody should check out. I'm listening to a track, and the tracks escape me right now, and I heard a shout-out of Ian Begley. Now, for those who don't know, Sky Zoo's a huge Nick fan. Uh, but Ian Begley got shouted out on the track. So immediately when I stopped driving, I pulled over, I tweeted at Ian. I was like, oh, bro, I heard you get shouted out on the song. And I texted you. I heard it, and I was shocked. I was happy. I was like, yeah, Ian got shouted out. <laughs> what about you? When you heard it, did you know what was coming? Did Sky tell you? And, like, how, how did that yeah, come out? Yeah, he hit me uh, before it came out, and he sent it to me. And I was like, bro, like, that's an honor. I was so honored, man. Like, and I don't even, like, it's hard to even put into words, like, how amazing that was for him mm. to mention me in one of his songs. It's just incredible. Like, he's a great guy, great Nick fan, super talented. Go get the album if you don't have it already, yeah. obviously. But um, Peddler Themes and the song was Finesse Everything. Finesse Everything. everything. Finesse yes. everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, I got texts from you. I got texts <laughs> from so many other people like, did did I hear your name on my, <laughs> my Sky Zoo song? I was like, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so I was telling you guys before, like, so I used to be cool in college, right? Getting out of college, I was fun. Got married. I lost a lot of my points, a lot of my street cred. You sound like uh, Robin, Robin Lumberg said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. it goes away quickly <laughs> when you're married away. with a baby. He said he was washed up. That was his I'm time. washed. I'm washed totally man. washed. <laughs> but when Sky, thank you, Sky, when he shouted me out, it really helped me out. Points went right yeah. back up. Oh, Dude. Cool again. Dude. <laughs> Made me cool again for like a couple weeks. Uh, so thank you for that. But no, it was incredible. It's really cool, man. huge honor. So don't get married. Got it. <laughs> wow. We, we didn't say all that. But, uh, I didn't say that. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say. You're not going to get me in trouble. He's not going to get in trouble. Like, no, that's that's not going to happen. Um, before we get into some questions from Knicks fans, I guess, you know, the the question I think that a lot of Knicks fans want to know. Some some people are like, hey, I want to know if the Knicks can make the playoffs. But yeah. during the break, uh, our director of photography brought up. The question is, will Knicks fans see the Knicks win a championship in their lifetime? Because yeah. I like to joke, and I say this to them. You know, Marguerite gets upset at me. My fiance should get upset. I'll say, if something happens to me, yeah, and I pass away or I die, 
take money and go bet it on the next. That's the year they're gonna win. <laughs> like when I'm gone, that's what's gonna happen. Gonna so I'm asking for for Lewis, our director of photography, people. Will the Knicks fans win a championship in our lifetime? Will we see it, Ian? Give us funny. some. I said give the same thing to Lewis. I said I might be dead first. But you know what? I think I really think obviously you have to look beyond this Golden State run. You have to look beyond LeBron James. And that's hard to do. What they're trying to do makes a lot of sense because they're trying to put themselves in position to be competitive once Golden State's done, once that team either breaks up or they're, you know, they get a little uh, older and they're mm-hmm. no longer at the level where they are now. So I think the smart NBA teams are looking to build for when Steph Curry and those guys are done, for when LeBron's done, because there's going to be a void to fill, right? And it looks like Minnesota is going to be there because they're building mm-hmm. with that timeline in, uh, in mind. In, in Philadelphia, if they're healthy, they could be there. The Nets might be there. They're all building with that timeline in mind. And I think the Knicks, one, thing, one smart thing they're doing is they're looking, instead of, hey, let's go all in on this year, which is what they did last year, they're looking to the future. And they're looking to have a, a competitive team in place for when this current run of dominance is over. And, you know, Who's to say what happens in free agency? What happens in the draft? Um, you know, all of it is, is up to chance. But I think their their philosophy right now is sound. Before we get into fan questions, I kind of want to get right back into hip hop really quick. Yeah. I want to know what is it that you're listening to now? If there's anything, you know, obviously we mentioned Sky Zoo. Yeah. We tend to ask people this yeah, yeah. Yes, because we do. you know, yeah. sports and hip hop. Look at the name of the damn podcast. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. so who are you listening to, I guess, right now? So, uh, Dex is probably listening to the same song. Uh-oh. The song that I have in my head that I listen to more than any other song, mm-hmm. not hip-hop, it's not rock, it's not pop, it's not anything. It's called The Happy Song, and it's a song for infants and newborns, oh. and you play it and uh, you get them to relax. Man. So that, it's not the I, Pharrell one? No, no, no not, not, not like Pharrell, it's a different Abby. one. And I this know song, this. <laughs> So we play it for my daughter, right? And this thing gets stuck in my head. Man, I can't get it out. I'm walking around. This song is playing in my head. It's pathetic. So <laughs> that's unfortunately where I am with music right now. The other day, like, it's very we're, wait, sad. We're, we're waiting for a remix of that. Like, we need to, I like, need a remix. Don't tell Scott to hop on the remix. He should jump on the remix. Um, I gotta look this up. So you know, no, don't, no, no, no. You don't want to get in your head before you have to. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. you don't. Like, in this <laughs> okay, wait, wait. So we're going to the Knicks and Nets game after yeah, this, yeah. the preseason game, yes. whenever this comes out. Yeah. Uh, are we going to hear it at the game? Because I want to like, prepare myself. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't no, think so. They play music for the if kids I, now. If I was in the press room, I'd just shake my head at Ian. I'd be like, man, you're just in too deep. Shut it down. <laughs> you put headphones on. I'll go back to listening to Freddie Gibbs. what happens when you have a kid and you have all these different songs. I don't have time to listen to music man and you just get consumed by what they're listening to like my daughter right now she's all about elmo and all i hear is elmo and elmo song elmo's world and sometimes i find myself going down the street humming that (laughs) so you're just gonna power you're just gonna power through the 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 little gem that i just dropped there Uh, that i said that i'll just go i'll just stay listening to freddie gibson you're just gonna power through that well no well if you have a kid you're probably gonna make your kid listen to freddie gibson oh absolutely to lullaby him absolutely (laughs) you only live twice also he always has a freddie gibson promo that is his favorite favorite rapper so yeah find another way to bring it in i didn't think it was going to make it it's a running theme it's a running theme i found it but it did so Ian is listening to the happy song, which sadly I know all too well. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll go to the fan questions. A lot of fans uh, hit us up on Twitter. Um, they gave us some questions, some, some interesting ones. Yep. First one comes from Ed Hamilton. Yeah. This question's direct. 
what's the feasibility that the Knicks are a playoff team in the Eastern Conference? Not like they could be a playoff team in the Western Conference, but what's the, <laughs> right, right. What's the feasibility that they are a playoff team this year? You know, we were talking about how we think they're probably, or I think they're probably going to have a tough time, especially early on on defense, right? Yeah. Should be able to score the ball. But the crazy thing is, you look at the Eastern Conference, there are so many bad teams, so many teams that are looking to lose. You know, you look at Atlanta. Chicago, Orlando, Orlando, Orlando. um, Indiana. So you have four teams off the top that are not definitely not going to make the playoffs. They're playing for the draft. So that means you have 11 teams left that are fighting for eight spots. Anything could happen there, man. Like I forgot about Brooklyn. So I don't know five teams that are probably not going to make the playoffs. So anything could happen there, and then. Injuries can happen. Maybe the Knicks are better defensively than what they what we think they are. They could fall backwards into the playoffs <laughs> in the Eastern Conference, <laughs> man. So I don't think that's the, the goal for them is just to is not so much wins losses as it is to improve over the course of the season. I don't think management will be upset if they were a lottery team and they landed you know a top five pick. Mm-hmm. But the way this conference is, it's there's so many bad teams that they really could make the playoffs by accident. Oh, that scares me. I'm not sure it feels great about Dexter that. Dexter wants to go 0-82 and get, <laughs> and get um, who do you want for the first pick? I don't know. I'm really high on uh, Luka Doncic. Yeah, um, yeah. Croatia. I watched a lot of him in Eurobasket, and I think he's really, I really, yeah. think, I really think that guy's a real deal. I really think he's good. I think RJ Barrett's really, really good. good. Um, Bagley's going to be a player. Yeah. Him too. Yeah. Next year's draft is He's going to be a player. This is some draft good. Is good. This is going to be a good draft. Yeah. So, we'll, so we'll see. So next question. Uh, my brother texted this to me. He doesn't okay. have Twitter or anything. He's actually <laughs> he's a Nick hater and a Net fan. Okay. Uh-oh. A rational one, though. Um, <laughs> so he's saying, what will it, and you're qualified to obviously answer this, what will it take for the Brooklyn Nets to be marquee players in free agency again? Mm, that's a great and question. you, you know, being around New York City yeah. and being around the NBA, you're obviously, like, you would know the answer to this, yeah. I would think. So here's, like, the thing with the Nets and the Knicks, New York is always a draw. Like, mm-hmm. players like the city, they like the idea of living in the city and, and playing in this market. Um, so I think the Nets have that going for them, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's similar to the Knicks. You have to show that you have a young core in place that is attractive enough so a guy who's already established says, hey, if I join these young guys, like we have a chance to make some noise and I have a chance to be known as the guy that helped this franchise turn itself around and become a winner. I don't think the Nets have shown that yet. You know, they have a lot of young, promising players, but they haven't shown that they have this young core that's ready to turn the corner. But, you know, they're they're close. I think that you could make an argument that they're closer than the Knicks right now because of what they've done in the offseason. I think what Sean Marks did was smart because he has this cap space, but I think he knows that he's not going to sign any big-name free agents. Yep. So he used it to acquire guys via trade and to get draft picks back to help build that young core. But I think once that's in place, you become more attractive. So I think they're a couple years away, but if things break right for them, they could be there in the summer of 2019, summer of 2020, as a place that can attract some some good free agents. I don't think you're getting top-of-the-line free agents in if you're the Nets or the Knicks, but I think you get solid free agents if you show that you're a place that's ready to win. There you go, Mike, Net fan, steady progress. Can't say say I didn't ask the question either. There you go. I'm going to combine two questions because the next next two questions we have, one's from Jeff Armstrong, who's a a friend of the... At Visions by Jeff. um, Who's a great sports photographer, and they're both about Tilakina. Okay. Uh, One, we kind of touched upon about his production and where we think he could be, and the other is about his injuries. Obviously, he didn't play in Summer League. Um, He's not 
not he didn't play in the previous game against the Wizards and won't yeah. play against the, the Nets uh, at the Barclays Center. Should there be concern about this? Uh, should you be concerned about this and how it might affect his production going forward in the season? So with the injuries, they seem to be two separate issues, right? Which is why I don't think there's a there should be a big level of concern at the moment because what he dealt with over the summer that kept him on the summer league uh, was a structural thing. They felt like he just maybe developed it from playing so long, such a long season mm. with his French team because they reached the playoffs. They were in the finals. Yep. They yep. went to the last game of the finals. So he played a long season. So it seemed to be structural like wear and tear where they just felt like the best thing for him to do was to rest. But the, he got cleared since then, right? So they felt like he was fine from that injury. They felt it was healed. And this most recent thing, it, it just seems to be a bruise, right? And Because he knocked his, I guess his knee hit and his canter in that first game. And it seems to be something where it's a normal injury. It's nothing structural. It's right. nothing that should be recurring that they have to be concerned about. Just seems like it's a matter of time before he gets healthy, gets back on the court. So I don't see the connection between the injuries that we're seeing with him, and that's a good thing. And it seems like this, um, he should be fine, and then he'll get back on the floor. The, the thing that you could be concerned about, though, is 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 he more vulnerable to be injured than you know your run-of-the-mill NBA player? That's a concern. But I think as, as he builds strength as he builds his body that will dissipate as well good good it's good to hear mm, okay so next question comes from bianca marley who, another another friend of the program okay yes yeah. who was on the sports walk last episode for a season just check that out uh good plug can there be any sort of success at this point another playoff appearance under the eyes of james dolan so what's the question Hey, basically, can there be any success? Can there be any success? Oh, under Dolan. Under Dolan. Oh, you know, a lot of my bad. I'm like, sorry. No, it's okay. I apologize to the, to the question asker. Believe me, I've, I've asked a lot of questions to players, and they've looked at me like, so what's the question? So, so I'm sorry about that. Um, here's the thing with Jim Dolan. Before Phil came here, right? Yeah. He was involved in everything. He was involved in a lot of the major decisions. Remember that. Uh, basketball, hiring coaches, firing coaches, hiring execs, firing execs. He was hands-on. And since then, he has said that when he hired Phil, it was going to be Phil's show. I, mean, I think, you know, if you talk to people uh, around the team, by and large, that was the case. By and large, I think he stuck to that. And he said once they announced that they were parting ways with Phil um, back in June, that it was going to be the same thing. He was going to let Steve run the show. Mm. And, uh, you know, based on what we know, I think that's been the case. When Scott Perry got hired as GM, he said he didn't even meet Dolan before getting hired. So that, I think, shows you that he's been pretty much hands-off. And I think if he remains so, um, then the Knicks will be okay and there's a chance that they could win with him as owner. If he's if he's hands-off, if he lets the people that he's hired do their jobs um, and make the decisions that the, the way they see fit, I think the Knicks could be in good shape. If he starts to meddle again, if he gets impatient, if um, he gets upset over something and he react, reacts emotionally as we've seen him do in the past, yes, then... Yeah. You know, the Dolan <laughs> factor comes into play, and then it could derail things. Yeah, because people always point to the Rangers, like New York Rangers, yeah. who he also owns, and they win. Yeah. And he stays out of their way, yeah, so yeah. they figure, why can't he do the same thing with Somebody New York? And they win. away from basketball. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, we see that. We're, we're, we're running short in time, so we have a couple more questions. Okay. Uh, 
looking back at the Mellow Era, yeah. how do you rate the Mellow Era? Good, bad, what, what was the Mellow Era? How do you look at it and how it played, everything played out? I think it's disappointing, man, because, um, and, and not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's because of what Mellow did or didn't do that it was disappointing, but there was so much promise there when you trade for him, right? It wasn't a great fit between him and Amari, but you had time as an organization to put the right players around him. Yeah. And I think the Knicks did that in 2012, 2013. They surrounded him with veterans. Mm. They surrounded him with defensive-minded bigs. They surrounded him with a point guard and Jason Kidd and Pablo Prigioni. Pass first guys, knew when to get guys the ball, where to get them the ball. And you saw Melo thrive. Yeah. You know, he, he was an MVP candidate, yep. won the scoring that title. Fun team. Knicks won 54 games. Yeah. So I think he's the kind of player where if you put pieces around him that make up for his faults, similar to Dirk Nowitzki and the Mavericks, the way they did it when they won the title, mm -hmm. you know, you can be successful. The Knicks, I don't think, figured that out in a sustainable way. They did it for one year, it worked well, didn't work well in other years because uh, he didn't have the right pieces around him. And I think Melo deserves uh, a fair share of the blame because, you know, he's not a great defender. Um, he's not a guy who distributes the ball as well as some of his counterparts. He, counterparts. He's a fantastic scorer, all-world scorer. Yeah. Um, but I think the other parts of his game left something to be desired. Mm -hmm. So he does deserve some of the blame. But I think management, the people around him, also didn't put him in position to be successful. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around. But I think more disappointing than anything else because of the potential there and the unreached potential. Definitely. Next question comes from... My boy at Prince Akeem NY, mm -hmm. Akeem says, can we expect a long rebuild from the Knicks? I don't think it's going to be at like a, you know, trust the process kind of long rebuild. I don't <laughs> think they're there. I, think, I, think, I don't think you could do, I mean, you could do that in New York maybe, but I don't think that, you know, they want to win yeah. quick, well, more quickly than, you know, five years from now. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, Scott Perry's mentioned it a couple times. If he sees a scenario where they can acquire a player that helps them win uh, in a, a quicker timeline than what, what maybe they're thinking about, he's not going to hesitate to acquire the guy if the opportunity is there right. just because, oh, no, our timeline is five years from now. He's not going to let that get in his way if there's an opportunity to bring in somebody who can make an impact. So I, I don't think we're looking at a, a five-year process. I think it's, it's shorter than that. And the other thing is, mm -hmm. you know, you want to create a scenario where you're showing Kristaps Porzingis that you're on the right track so he's open and willing to sign that extension when it comes time this summer next summer so i think they're they're on a, a tighter timeline than people realize good and last last thing we'll do just do yeah. you, have you heard anything somebody asked if there are any trade rumors around the Knicks? I think it's way too early in the season yeah, for that. Yeah. We're not even near February. But do you see the Knicks making any moves this year? I think a lot of it depends on how things unfold. But are there any moves you can see them making small, big? Yeah, I mean, if you look at where they are and, and look at their roster, you know, there's there's five, four centers. Excuse me, four centers. So yeah. that's an obvious area where you have a surplus. And I would think that they would try to move off one of those guys. Uh, O'Quinn has a great contract, yep. and, and, and I think he has value on the trade market. Mm -hmm. Whether they want to move him or not is, is unknown. But then also you look at, they're this young team, right? They're rebuilding around this young core. They have Courtney Lee under contract for the next three years. He's 31 years old. Great player, great piece, but probably better for a contending team, a team that's ready to win now, than he is for the Knicks. So is he a guy that they look to? I think you know those are the possibilities you look at with the Knicks when you talk about trades. All right, uh, we're, we're going to wrap here. Last thing for you, 
your prediction for next this year? Are you willing to put your name next to a number? Uh, I think Vegas has him at 29. We're not we're telling anybody to bet. Vegas has him at 29 and a half. Um, and I think ESPN also had predicted them around that range, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, how many wins for the Knicks this year? What, what do you see him doing? I've never gotten this right, man. Like, people <laughs> ask me every year. I'm never right. So don't, so don't trust Ian yeah, Begley. Don't trust one. my prediction. <laughs> but I think if, if everyone's healthy, right, and if they can kind of coalesce on the defensive end, I could see them between um, 31 to 34 wins. And okay. I think that's, like, best-case scenario. And, again, maybe you trip over yourself into the playoffs in the East with that win total. Please don't. I'm taking that. Next week, you hope that. This, this Nick fan hopes that they don't do that. Ian, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Always supporting Backpack Broadcasting. Uh, totally appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. I know the fans will appreciate you talking some Knicks basketball. So, uh Good luck, and hopefully things aren't crazy this season. Thank you, Dex. Appreciate it, man. Of course, Thanks bro. Of course, me. man. Appreciate oh, it. As, as, as always, that is Ian Begley, yes. the great uh, beat writer. I'm taking an under. New York Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking an under, too, on that one. I'm not going with into that one. But uh, Ian Begley, great uh, writer for New York Knicks. You can follow him at Ian Begley on Twitter. He has all the latest news and updates for you. That's it for this special edition, episode six of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Stay tuned for what we have coming up next on Ain't Hard to Tell.